Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London is Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to a special episode of the London is Blue podcast. We had our regularly scheduled match review, as always, earlier in the week. But since we had Joe on as a guest, we had to talk to him about his trip to Vitesse Arnhem and the time he spent watching Lewis Baker and kind of seeing how, you know, the the Chelsea in Netherlands experiment project is going. So kind of as we mentioned, Joe was lucky enough to spend the weekend uh, in Arnhem uh, hanging out I guess, what was the idea behind the trip uh, and, and what, what did you do this last weekend? So I got approached by Lewis's agent last sort of June time before the beginning of the season. And I think they were just interested to get someone out there with maybe a Chelsea perspective, just to sort of get a feel for the whole Vitesse-Chelsea relationship. Um, wasn't really kind of aimed so much at seeing Lewis's progress because I think at this point, obviously he wasn't, we didn't know what kind of season he would be having. So it was sort of more kind of, I suppose, uh, yeah, shaped to, to be more of a, a kind of opinion on the Vitesse and, and Chelsea relationship. But as the season progressed, I kept in touch with, with uh, Lewis's agents, which is a guy called James Kelly. And, uh, you know, he's obviously playing really well. I think he's, he's now 12 goals and, and 14 assists in, in all competitions after today's game. Playing really well. You know, I think the progress he's made has been fantastic. So 
by the time it sort of comes to going out there, yeah, it was sort of more of a let's let's take a look at Lewis and let's take a look at Vitesse, um, just see how how that sort of went. So, yeah, um, in terms of sort of the weekend in, in general, I, on Friday, I met up with uh, Lewis, um, Lewis's agent, his dad as well, which was which was really uh, really really interesting. And there was a guy from Chelsea who also came over more in a personal capacity than a than a professional capacity. So. That was pretty interesting. Um, went to dinner on Friday. I went to training on Saturday. Got to watch that. Um, got to watch the, the young Vitesse team play as well. Then Saturday, I probably got maybe 45 minutes with, with Lewis in just a one-on-one-to-one sort of capacity. So it wasn't so much an interview. It was just more kind of a chat around football and, and Vitesse and, and, and his kind of desires and dreams and what he wants to do in the future, which I think was really, really fascinating. And then Sunday was kind of the, uh, the sort of the coup de grace, really. It was uh, watching Vitesse play Ajax. Um, the whole sort of corporate thing as well with, uh, with Lucy's agent was fantastic. But yeah, that was kind of sort of the, the, the clowning glory of the, of the weekend. Fantastic. I mean, especially, I guess, did you line it up specifically so you could go for a match against, you know, one of the big teams, Ajax in, in, in the Netherlands? Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, I said to, said, to, said to James in the email that he, that he initially sent over, I was, I was kind of like, yeah, if I'm going to come over, I would really like to see them play, uh, play Ajax. The only irritating thing for me, which again is one of these sort of modern football things, but Ajax, obviously the famous red and white shirt, I think everyone would like to see them play in Vitesse play in yellow and black, but yet Ajax were wearing a kind of baby blue sort of chain strip. So I was a little bit disappointed that, that they weren't kind of in full full red and white Ajax, uh, Ajax sort of kit and attire. But yeah, I mean, apart from that, it was, it was really, really good to go and see a, um, a team that I've obviously watched for a long period of time. You know, thankfully, Dan has done a great job of kind of keeping tabs on this as well. So I'm going to turn it over to you, sir, and uh, kind of get this kicked off as we talk through this. Well, the the first recommendation would be is if you haven't read uh, Joe's wonderful article, not just about Lewis Baker, but about uh, Vitesse and his time there. It's up at We Ain't Got No History. Uh, it's Lewis Baker, comma, number 34, the crown and glory of Chelsea's Vitesse uh, project. And uh, Joe, I want to start to ask, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, that you don't necessarily know or we don't necessarily know if uh, Lewis is left footed or right footed or if he is at certain times or is it isn't at certain times. Can you kind of like walk us through what what exactly did you see about his, his footwork when you were there? Yeah, it's it's really just quite baffling to what sort of, you know, I mean, in terms of sort of the training, just to give some context, I was probably about five to 10 meters away from every single sort of session and drill. So really kind of could, could get a good feel of, of, of sort of the players around him and what he was doing and just generally, yeah, just generally his touch and, and how that kind of all played together. Um, I, I mean, I, I just, I couldn't figure it out at all. I mean, I sort of drove over there on a Friday and I was sort of joking with his, with his dad and with his agent about what foot he was and they were being quite coy and keeping it to themselves. But it's a really weird thing to see because you know, if you are um, someone who can use the left foot in, or right foot in terms of playing football, there's a, there's a certain feel of the ball, there's a certain shape your body takes when you actually receive the ball, when you pass the ball. And you know, it's quite easy to see if someone's right foot or left footed because when they use their, their kind of weak foot, it's almost sort of a, just a swing. You kind of sort of swing in and you're hoping for sort of a decent connection. And, and when you actually watch him play, the way he receives the ball, it's... You know, when the ball comes to him, if it's if it's suitable for him to use his left foot, he uses his left foot. If it's suitable to use his right foot, he uses his right foot. There's no real favour. There's no kind of favouring of, of a foot at all when the ball comes to him. It, it's almost kind of a, an innate 
skill that he has or an innate ability to just pick the appropriate foot for the appropriate situation and probably none more represented than when they were using um, the kind of the rondo drill so obviously anyone who's familiar with FIFA knows that the rondo drill where you kind of pass the ball around and you've got two people in the middle and you know you see people firing the ball at him and not particularly um, sort of a, a kind of compassionate fashion and you know he was sort of using outside the left foot to cushion the ball away left foot inside the foot to pass it away outside the right foot back here with the right foot and you know you, you're looking at other players in the drill and, and it's they're very very one-footed and very sort of you know they're trying to change their body shape to use the outside of their foot instead of using their, their other foot um everything was kind of let's tr try and keep it to their natural side but with lewis it's it's kind of this weird balance between left and right where the ball would, would be fired at him and he can he can stand square rather than trying to sort of favor one foot or the other so i kind of looked at that and i thought hang on a minute okay i haven't really got any insight from this drill so then they kind of moved on to more of a possession-based drill. And this was really kind of where it, it got a little bit difficult for me because for, for probably five minutes during the drill, drill, he was playing almost exclusively with his left foot. So, you know, he maybe touched the ball eight to ten times in this sort of maybe three to five-minute spell. Um, and it, it was almost as if he was just using his left foot. He was a left-footed player. Um, ball was coming to him, you know, controlled with the outside of the foot, passing the ball, you know, 20, 30 yards, curling it around players, flicks, tricks, all with the left foot. And then, you know, five minutes later, it's all right for us. So I don't know whether it's something that he intentionally does or it's just, you know, part of his brain. But it was it was really weird to see that he could just switch between one and the other. Um, and then kind of the last sort of third of the drill, it was just basically, you know, if the ball was coming to him, he was just receiving the ball naturally on, on either foot, playing the ball away. Um, and he, just, he doesn't give the ball away. You know, he doesn't give the ball away in these, in these possession drills. And, you know, something I mentioned in the articles, I don't necessarily think that the standard of player of the test is is massively high. It's not like an Ajax or a PSV or, or a final one of sort of the big, the bigger Dutch teams. You know, the, the kind of standard is you've got some good players, you've got some players who obviously they're, they're professional footballers, but they're not kind of at that sort of really high level. And, you know, they, they tend to give the ball away under pressure. And with Lewis, he kind of thrives on that. You see him sort of going towards the ball and he'll take it on his left foot, play it out with his right foot. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was kind of the real opening thing. And then, sort of moved into kind of a sort of a small-sided game and, and the sort of the theme continued. But I think probably the most telling thing was watching him take sort of three kicks at the end of the session. So, you know, it was a short session before a game and I think him, Mukhtar Ali, who's another Chelsea loanee and uh, another young Vitesse player were sort of taking three kicks, um, probably I'd say maybe 25, 30 yards from goal, probably about eight to 10 yards to the left. Um, they had probably a wall, sort of training wall of dummies, maybe four or five players and, you know, a lot of the other players were obviously hitting the target, but to see Lewis go left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right, and continually sort of hitting the same spot. You know, he's trying to pick out the top corner. He'd hit the bar, he'd hit the post, you know, they'd go in. But it's it's not something that I've ever seen anyone do. Um, I think a lot of people would say, well, Santi Cazorla's kind of two-footed, but Lewis can, if, if he's right-footed, I'm not sure if he is, but he can he can drill the ball with his left foot. He can he can drill it. He can hit sort of like a knuckle ball with his with his left foot. Whereas I think I've seen Kozula almost kind of floats the ball in with his left foot and can kind of ping it with his right foot. So um, it's a really weird weird sensation um, to sort of just watch it and and just be completely confused by what you're seeing. And that sort of session really culminated in sort of a crossbar challenge, which again I think I wrote about in the article where he went last. Um, both sort of the other players are missed and you know steps up left footed and completely ping the ball over the wall straight onto the crossbar. And, uh, you know, again, sort of first time left foot and you're sort of scratching your head thinking, so, so is he left-footed? Is he, is he left-footed and he can use his right foot? 
but you know, I was sort of speaking to the the guys I was with, and I, the sort of conclusion I came to is that he's. It doesn't really matter what foot he is. It's just you know, both of them are sort of exceptionally good at, at, at doing whatever he needs them to do. Um, and yeah, it's, it was just just a really, really strange, not strange, it was just sort of a, a kind of a really amazing thing to watch up close and personal, just to see someone that naturally gifted with either foot. Um, and sort of, yeah, the conclusion I took away from it was that it doesn't really matter what foot he is because both of them are sort of equally uh, equally spectacular. All right, Joe, what impressed you most about his game, watching him practice and play? And judging by the first answer, you can't go into everything because it sounds like he's a complete midfielder. But definitely, like, what absolutely stood out to you, whether it was technically, tactically, how he read the game? I mean, where's Lewis's strengths lie? I think probably now what, what we've seen since his move to Vitesse is, is a real developing into like a T-way player. So I think there was this kind of conception about him that he was sort of a number 10 or an attacking midfielder, but he really has grown into into kind of a, a very much a two-way player. I think probably the biggest thing that I've noticed from watching him as an academy player and a sort of a, an under-18s, under-20 player is, is to actually see how much better he, he is off the ball now playing every week. You know, he he's particularly good at kind of cl- closing off passing lanes and the way that he is in space and and his awareness in general is, is sort of light years ahead of where he was as an academy player. I think that's been a huge development. But equally, I think, you know, the, the fact that he he's just so good on the ball, you know, he, he tends to play the most key passes. He tends to have the most shots. He's the real sort of driving force behind the test. Um, you know, he may not always be the most um, dominant player on the team, but I kind of see him in a very similar light to Frank Lampard and that Lampard may not have had a dominant game, but he might, you know, he might have popped up with a goal, popped up with an assist, being quite decisive. And I think that's probably the the biggest thing that I've seen about Lewis was that he he's becoming quite a, quite a decisive player. Um, you know, his his output at the test is fantastic, particularly when you consider the the standard of players around him. He's not playing at Ajax. He's not playing at one of the the bigger teams in Holland. You know, some of his teammates are not necessarily finishing off chances that he, that he creates, and you know, it kind of says a lot that not only is he playing the most key passes, but he's also having the most shots. So he is having to do quite a bit to, to help the team forward. Um, but sure. yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's the fact that he's now becoming a, more of a two-way player. You know, I think he is developing into that sort of classic number eight. You know, you can, he can defend. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's like Ngolo Kante without the ball, but you know, he can defend. I've seen him tackle. He's aggressive. He's strong. But it's when he gets the ball, I think he really comes alive. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, watching particularly in the matches the kind of options that being completely two-footed allows you. And, you know, he can, you know, spend more than, you know, less than a second on the ball than his teammates. And the, the ball moves up quicker and his team can attack quicker. So, yeah, you know, he made some really, really fantastic passes off both feet on the the game that I watched. Some of them didn't go so much because of his teammates. Um, but I think, yeah, realistically, you know, it's, it's just, just this development into more of a two-way player than probably a traditional attacking midfielder, which a lot of people probably saw him as um, when, he headed, when he sort of headed out to the test. Joe, I think a question that a lot of us have is kind of the developmental opportunities um, that Lewis has. And I mean, this is, you know, not only in the, in the environment that he's in at Vitesse, but also just kind of the competition he's playing against, Uh, you know, what are, what are the opportunities he has to kind of grow as a player in the next year or two, you know, assuming that he goes out on loan again? I think probably the the final step now in his develop is, is going to be sort of doing the same things he's doing at the moment, but in a, in a more physical league, uh, whether that is playing in the Premier League or whether that's someone like the Bundesliga. 
it's about taking kind of what he's learned over the past two seasons at Vitesse, this sort of progression from being an academy player to playing in a, a league that's, that's quite young, that's not as physical as the Premier League, where teams want to play football, where they want to keep it on the deck. Taking it from that environment into an area where maybe the Premier League, you know, you have less time, it's more explosive, it's more powerful, you know, you're, you're going to get sort of physically exposed at times, or the Bundesliga, which probably is, you know, just a slight notch below the Premier League in terms of physicality. But yeah, I mean, for, for me, and I think probably for, for him and his, his representatives as well, that was kind of the big thing. Um, whether it's uh, he's going to impress pre-season and remain with Conte and, and maybe do something like Chalabas done this season, you know, kind of play some, some crucial minutes here and there. I'm not sure. But for me, I mean, I think he is kind of the, the sort of poster child for, for minutes really developing a player because, you know, he's, he's playing an awful lot of football over the past two years. And you can really kind of see the, the development in this game. Oh, okay, you know, the, the Dutch league might be the sixth best league in Europe, but in terms of bridging the gap between academy football and professional football, I think it's a, it's a really, really good start if the player is willing. Um, again, I think that's something that really came across when I was speaking with Lewis, that he, he took the opportunity and kind of saw it for what it was, realised, you know, that he could, he could use the next sort of year, two years to, to develop certain aspects of his game. And, and now I think if he comes back to the Premier League, Maybe a team like Swansea, or maybe maybe uh, a team that likes to play football, Southampton possibly. Um, I think he comes back um, uh, an infinitely better footballer, but also now kind of ready for sort of the rigors of, of Premier League football. Where I think potentially sometimes what we've seen with some of our lone players is that the jump between going from say Chelsea to let's have someone like Burnley or or someone with Patrick Bamford or even even Nat Chalobah, you know that 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 jump in terms of uh, moving from Chelsea to a Premier League club on loan wasn't always the, the, the easiest to, to handle. So I'm hopeful, and I think probably he is as well, that he can now come back and, and find a Premier League team that needs someone in midfield where he can play um, you know, regularly. And hopefully thereafter, then come back and look to break into the Chelsea team. So uh, not only did you get the chance to see Lewis Baker uh, play a little bit, but you also had a chance to see uh, you know three other Chelsea uh, Loneys of Vitesse, Nathan Miazga, and uh, Ali. And you know, do you have any kind of uh, snapshot thoughts about where they were kind of in their current progress and, and where you see you know their future kind of at the end of this season? Sure, um, Nathan. I mean, I, I struggle to see how Chelsea have, have sanctioned the amount of money that they've spent on him. I think he spent maybe eight million pounds, maybe ten million pounds, something like that. You know, I think the the way he was described to me, he's he's very hot and cold. One week he could be a nine out of a ten, next week he could be ten out of ten. The following week he's a two out of a ten or three out of a ten. And I, I maybe with him, it's just it's just a consistency thing. But I can't really see there being a long term future at Chelsea with him. Um, Miasco is is an interesting one for me because I think from a purely defensive standpoint, you know, he is big, he is strong, he's quick, he's good in the air, he's solid in the tackle, but in the kind of one-on-one stuff, so where um, sort of the individual training, where Lewis went off and was practicing set pieces, the, the test coaches, um, so it was actually Andy Myers, who is, uh, is, I don't know if he's on loan or he's, he's, he's working at the tests, you know, from, from Chelsea, was just purely working on uh, Miazka's distribution uh, with the ball. So, you know, I, th- I think I look at him and, and I can see a lot of potential in terms of a player. And, and let's, you know, be completely honest, Ajax have a, a guy up front called Kasper Dolberg, who is, you know, by all accounts, um, one of the hottest sort of young strikers in Europe. Everyone has kind of got tabs on him. And I don't think Miaski took him out of his pocket for 90 minutes. So, you know, he really did completely and utterly dominate. It's one of these sort of, you know, next, the next big things in Europe. 
it's just when the ball when the ball is at his feet, you just kind of wonder, okay, you know, we need to see some sort of progression in terms of him having the ball because I think defensively, you know, he he's not really going to give much. You know, he won everything in the air, and in fact, towards the end of the game, the Ajax players had completely stopped even bothering to jump with him because it was just pointless. So they were looking more for sort of the second ball, but you know, he's he's, he's very physically dominant. It's just going to be now looking at him from a technical technical standpoint because. You know, in this day and age, it's it's not enough that you're merely a good defender. You need to be able to play with the ball at your feet as well. And particularly in Holland, you know, he has plenty of time on the ball. And you can sort of see when he has the ball that that's when his brain starts sort of going into into overload, looking at the options. Rather, when he's sort of purely being sort of a natural defender, that seems very natural to him. So I thought that was quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, he, he did have a pretty good game against Ajax. Um and Mukhtar Ali, I think he is probably going to be the first beneficiary of, of, of what I've kind of dubbed the, the Lewis model. So, you know, he's coming out at sort of 18 years of, of age. He's probably going to be there for two years. So he's going to be there until he's 20. Um, a very good little, very good technical player, very good person on the ball. I think the, the youth team academy guys used to call him the, the sort of, What's the nickname they gave him? Um, Mookie Busquets. So, yeah, his, his nickname is Mookie, but they used to call him Mookie Busquets because he just never gave the ball away. Um, so, I think that for him, he, he's going to be able to follow this kind of model of development that Lewis has, has kind of put in place where, you know, you have sort of six months of bedding in, learning how to be a professional, learning about the environment, look to sort of settle in the first team for the second half of the season. And then that following year, you know, on loan, really then look to try and make your mark in the first team. And, Again, you know, I caught up with him after the after the Ajax game for a bit. He again, very very nice kid, very down to earth. Um, he's loving the experience out in Holland at the moment. So hopefully, you know, with that kind of mentality, he's uh, he's going to do pretty well out there. But I, I do see it as a really good opportunity for for Chelsea players, sort of 18, 19, to go away, you know, for two years, get a bit of life experience as well, you know, moving abroad and, and sort of fending for themselves, um, and then looking to sort of obviously develop and get into the Vitesse side. So yeah, you know, I think for all of them. Um, I think Miazga is, is going to be an, in, an interesting one. It's just whether he develops on the ball or not really will determine what level he's going to play at. But Mukhtar Ali, probably a bit too early to say, but I think Nathan, I, you know, I think he's just going to be another one of these Chelsea players you you might think about in a pub quiz in seven years' time. So, yeah, I can't, I can't really see him, <laughs> him, him going on to do that much, to be honest. So uh, we follow uh, a guy on uh, on Twitter, Lars Vitesse CFC. Uh, he usually chimes in with some pretty good stuff, Joe, about just kind of development and the players that are uh, at Vitesse from Chelsea. Uh, he has made a pretty strong statement here about Miazga, and I think it kind of follows your line of thinking. But uh, mentality-wise, he thinks he's uh, the best of all the Chelsea loanies that they've had there. Um, and he says he's he's improving on the ball too. Do you think his mentality – you know, obviously we have a, a soft spot for him because he's an American, but we really just want to see a good defender, you know, first and foremost. Do you think he has the mentality to kind of take his game from, you know, the Eredivisie kind of level, you know, where it's very attacking minded to, you know, something like a championship or a, a lower level Premier League level or Bundesliga level where he's going to have to do kind of both sides of the game a little bit more? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think probably I would say alone in the championship team, I, I think he would actually do really, really well at the championship level. Um, not quite as technical as the Bundesliga, not as demanding, but I think from a, a pure defensive standpoint, he would come in and he would improve probably near enough every single side in the championship. Um, 
Bundesliga would be interesting. I think we can kind of see how it's benefited Andreas Christensen. So it's kind of a mixture of obviously kind of a very physical kind of football, but a very technical football as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, from a mentality standpoint, I mean, he he does sort of come across as very confident. And when I saw him during training, he seems to be one of sort of the more prominent figures within sort of training. And, you know, he's, I mean, he is absolutely enormous, you know, seeing him, you know, he's quick across the ground. I, I do think that there is, there's definitely a player in there. I think, you know, from what Lars is saying, it's absolutely true. You know, I think he's got the right mentality. It's just going to be about whether he can develop the, the technical side of his game because, you know, I mean, I, I even look at maybe looking at sort of a, a Chelsea-level player here. From a defensive standpoint, he's really not too far off being able to play as a defender at Chelsea. I think it's just going to be the fact that we obviously enjoy a lot of possession as a team in the majority of games we play. And I think you've seen this season that we could do with another ball playing centre half at the back to, to really kind of help this sort of three-man defence that we have. But, you know, I, I do see his ceiling. I think I think he's going to be a Premier League standard player. I'm not sure what team. I think that a lot of that is going to be down to him. But I think from what from what I've seen in training anyway at the test, they're very much focusing on him developing his range of passing and and that sort of technical side of his game. So they've, they've obviously honed in on that as being the thing that he needs to work on. And maybe if, if it's another season at the test or if he then moves to, to somewhere in the Bundesliga or, or maybe a, a, a kind of a championship team that, that uh, likes to play a bit more football, I think his development path, it might be a fairly long one. He might be one of these people that we look at and say, OK, so it was mid to mid sort of 20s, all of a sudden everything clicks to him. But, you know, he's definitely he's definitely got the sort of physical physical tools and some of just the, the sort of natural defensive skills that you'd want to see from someone. It's just going to be, as I said, the, uh, the ability on the ball, which I think really determines where he's going to end up. So last question about your trip to Vitesse and your time, you know, watching these loanies and uh, we'll get you out on that one is that you made mention in the piece. I thought this was really interesting that when we as fans are watching the game, we're only seeing and maybe evaluating close to about 10% of what the clubs are actually looking at when they're assessing a player and, and their development and their talent level. Can you give us an idea of what that other 90% was now that you've kind of had a chance to see the, uh, of what you can share? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was quite a privileged conversation. So, I mean, I'll share it's just some bits. I won't mention names of players or, or anything like that who we were kind of discussing it to make the point but I think one of the interesting examples is um, if you look at Chelsea Chelsea's midfield and the, the pursuit of a midfielder in the summer um, I think a lot of us would would mention some names um, and just say yeah a really good player they've got high pass completion percentage you know they're good on the ball they chip and move a few goals they can get up and down and from sort of an assessment standpoint you can sort of objectively say okay I think player X is a good player but the, the kind of sort of level that the clubs are looking at is okay, very much in kind of almost kind of a right and left split was how I would describe it. So we have Ngolo Kante, who is a right-sided central midfielder. So what the club are doing, I think potentially one of the questions I've seen a little bit later in relation to the Man United, just looking at how to, how to balance that kind of direction out. So is that we're looking at a right-footed, um, do not play on the left-hand side. And I think, again, it's probably something which is a lot more prominent in centre-backs. As you see, you know, John Terry has always been a left-sided centre-half. Um, the same with, I think, David Luiz was a left-sided centre-half. And when he played for Chelsea, he played, he played on the right. The kind of skill set and the way that these guys are analysing players, if you think of a, a clock face, if you're a right-sided player, you typically you, you look at 12 o'clock to maybe 3 o'clock as a left-sided centre-half. You're looking at maybe 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock 
that's kind of your peripheral vision. That's kind of where you're looking. That's where you're comfortable. That affects your body shape, how you receive the ball, everything about all your muscle memory, about where your touch goes, all that kind of stuff down to that sort of minute level of detail. And when they're looking at people who play in midfield, it could just come down to the fact that someone who is naturally played on the left-hand side, even if they're right-footed, but who's someone who's played on the left, naturally takes the ball and is looking at 9 to 12 to play the ball immediately or their first touch immediately is looking in that direction. So that sort of the level of analysis isn't just the fact that someone is a good player. It's almost kind of the where they play, where the, how, you know, where the first touch takes them. Can they open their body up to play right to left? Can they play left to right? Directions of passes, line break passes, um, sort of defensive shapes. You know, how do they press? When do they press? Can they can they press? What sort of systems they've played in? How good are the players around them? There was sort of all there was probably like 60, 70 questions that were thrown at me over the weekend about players that I that I mentioned um, that I thought were interesting for the club. And a lot of it was to do with, as I said, with this kind of idea of balance. You know, if you are watching someone who, who is a, a right-sided central midfielder, it's quite unlikely um, that if you just drop them on the left-hand side. And I think the, the illustration was actually, if you watch Chalobah during the Wolves game, so I think he played on the left-hand side of midfield with Fabregas on the right. And I don't think Chalobah had a really, I think he played well, but, but we've seen him do a lot more things on the right-hand side. And it's just that very, very small difference between comfort levels of someone who plays on the right to someone who plays on the left and how it can massively impact their game because you'd expect and you've seen um, Chalaba drive forward with the ball, Chalaba push forward with the ball on the right-hand side. But on the left-hand side, there was that kind of reticence and it was a little bit more hesitant. And these sort of very, very small things, just you thinking just on a midfielder, um, are some of the things that they're, that they're really looking at. Um, you know, it's not so much about, um, you know, people who are going to sort of go up and score 20, 30 goals a season. They're looking at how, you know, do, do they leave their teammates exposed in terms of shape? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real kind of, a, a real sort of a, equation that, you know, if, if every if it was really easy to spot talent, then every club would have a load of really good players and no one would ever buy someone who was particularly bad. But, you know, they're also looking at stuff like character, personality of the player, um, it's it's you know it's not just enough that someone is a good footballer. There's there's probably I said you know if that's twenty percent of the of the overall analysis, you know the, the the fact of what makes a good player is probably more interesting. Some of these things that I've mentioned about touch, technique, you know, receiving the ball, passing, awareness. Can they play multiple positions? Size, height, power. I mean, there's a million things which they go on about, but that kind of pure football analysis side of thing is not the bulk of the. Of, of what they're looking at overall. It could be could be the fact that um, I mentioned a player at, at Lyon. I don't think it's someone that we're looking at. So I'm, I can probably mention them. Is a guy called Nabil Fakir. Um, he's kind of a number 10 right winger who scores a lot of goals and is a really talented guy. But the general perception from football, and this isn't me leaking in any information. I think there's probably articles out there which probably say the same thing. But he does apparently have a bit of a personality defect. You know, he's kind of a bit of a... Um, yeah, a bit of a rogue, a bit of uh, whatever you want to sort of call it in terms of his personality, which really, you know, has kind of put a lot of teams off looking to pursue to, to buy him. So, you know, I think we we're all kind of get frustrated sometimes. We think, okay, you know, why aren't we going for this player or why, why, why aren't we going for that player? But I think probably the takeaway is, and again, it's not showing anything particularly sensitive about the club, but they probably know more about every single football in Europe than everyone on Twitter combined, you know, times 10. So, you know, it's it's not a case that we're not looking at certain players. There are probably cases where, you know, there are some really, really good footballers which we're looking at who just don't fit the system. You know, don't fit, fit the system from a personality point of view. Don't fit it from a 
physical standpoint who don't fit it from a could just be the fact that they are a right-sided player and we've got enough people who play right side and we we're looking for someone on the left um it's just this kind of huge myriad of of questions and i suppose it's also why you know scouting departments are, are worth a lot of money so yeah um try to sort of give a, a yeah a very broad brush final brush question for you joe uh, we have sure. to we have to end on this but how quickly until you become a professional ch- a scout for chelsea fc <laughs> um, well, I've actually been inspired to take my coaching badges off the back of this weekend, so um, I'm hoping to be no to be being deadly, deadly serious. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm hoping to be at least you wait for B qualified within the next two years, and then I think I'll, I'll see where that takes me. But yeah, like I said, it, it's it's not so much being able to say that a player is a good player; it's kind of then sort of breaking that right down to the very sort of ins and outs of okay, why, why is he a good player, and then being able to convince someone to invest. 40, 50 million pounds in them is, is obviously going to be a slightly different pressure than saying, yes, he's a good footballer. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right. Well, we expect uh, press access whenever you become the, uh, <laughs> the first team coach. Okay. Of course. <laughs> Fantastic, Joe. Well, thank you so much. As uh, Dan alluded to earlier in the pod, go check out this article. Uh, we were able to, you know, pull some extra stuff out of Joe. So consider this like the extended version of that article, uh, but it's fantastic. You guys know he does a great job writing. Check it out. And as always, Chelsea fans, we will be back after the next match. Uh, West Ham this coming Monday. Don't miss it. Don't sit around this weekend waiting for it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be there. But we will. We'll be back. All right, guys. Until next time, keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.